This is a Valfam special, special broadcast. broadcast. The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to Valfam 88.1. Hear it. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to another edition of the COVID Report, your one-stop shop for all of the facts, all of the stats, all of the figures, and none of the misinformation as it pertains to all things COVID-19. Just before you ask yourself, what is so different about this voice I'm hearing? It is the voice of Kamelehe Ogwapovana, officially back on the COVID Report, alongside my tag team partner, Siposihe Mbuli. And it appears my timing returning to the show could not have been better what with level one loading and everything last night the president of the republic president Cyril Ramaphosa, addressed the nation announcing plans to move the country to lockdown alert level one effective midnight this coming sunday and he also in the midst of his address mentioned the introduction of a tracking app that is going to be used to uh, to further help our fight against COVID-19. We will unpack all of that over the course of today's edition of the show, but we can't get into anything that we've got on today's menu without looking at what the numbers dictate as far as how far spread COVID-19 continues to be across South Africa. And before those numbers, game, I must say it's wonderful to have you back. Welcome back to the COVID report. And as you know, numbers are something that really dominate the world of COVID. And as of the 16th of September, there have been 1,923 new cases, bringing our total number of positive cases to over 650,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. Our deaths now sit at 15,705, while Gauteng remains the epicenter of the virus. Now, the world of COVID never rests. As Game correctly said, President Cyril Ramaphosa addressed the nation yesterday, informing us of our move to level one. Now, many questions arise around level one. What does it mean and who benefits the most from it? We are joined here on the COVID Report by Jamie Mighty to unpack the key changes that come with this move. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us here on the COVID Report. And firstly, what are some of the key takeaways from the speech by the president yesterday? I think the key takeaways that we have to um, appreciate is that it's been six months of some version of a national emergency or national state of disaster. The positive end, though, is that we are now going below the 2,000 daily cases, as well as having high recoveries. And so I think what the president really tried to set up was a strong case for showing that we can actually move into level one, and that even though we're moving into level one, they will have... Uh, more testing because what they're doing now is they'll test everyone who's admitted in the hospitals, everyone who's an outpatient, and everyone who's had close contact with anybody who's tested positive. They also emphasized use of the app and making sure that people can use that digital app to at least get alerts if they are in high-risk areas or have been exposed. Um, The challenge with a digital technology solution such as this is generally that people don't always download apps and people don't always Uh, use those particular apps and some people don't even switch on their Bluetooth. So it remains to be seen whether or not the app in and of itself 
will be of value. But the president um, did make it clear that now we are at a position where South Africa needs to head into level one. And in addition, he spoke about an economic recovery plan that will in the days to come. I think a lot of people are going to be curious as to what is the shape of that recovery plan, because the economy is really in a state of, um, you know, distress right now. So I think those were the big highlights. He did also speak about gender-based violence and looting and corruption and how he will deal with those things. Um, I think that was to be more complete because those are the political discussions that are happening. But as we've discussed before uh, in previous reviews, the gender-based violence discussions aren't always matched. I think is one that I think people are skeptical about. Now, the IEC was mentioned in and amongst um, that speech last night, uh, making one think of elections. In your opinion, how do you think this shapes up the, the ANC moving towards election season? And what, what kind of shape do you think this leaves our political climate in? Well, I think that the ANC will want to have elections as close to scheduled next year which is also why reference was made to the IEC and them being able to register voters and make arrangements for voter registration, even under level one. So I think that the ANC is preparing for an election year next year with new entrants such as Herman Mashaba and possibly even Musi Maimani if he decides to throw his name in the hat. Um, I think the environment wherein the ANC will go to elections will be a lot of evident corruption scandals surrounding the ANC And there's a lot of um, dissatisfaction because considering the current conditions on the ground, you have a GDP that shrunk dramatically. Some people contest whether it was 51% in the previous quarter or maybe something more moderate. However, we still have had millions of job losses. We've still had a lot of business activity shut down. We've had a lot of people unable to participate in the economy, meaning obviously the ANC is not directly to blame for this, tapered with or tapered onto a lot of evident corruption scandals. And there's always a corruption scandal or two in any country, in any political environment. When those two come together with frustration, with economic decline, and there's a lot of coverage for those scandals, what you then see is not a positive environment for a ruling party or an incumbent party. Now, looking at this decision made by our leaders, do you think the president was under some sort of pressure to make this decision? And what kind of pressure would that have been from which industry? Well, there definitely would be a lot of pressure on the president to make this kind of a decision at this point. And I think the music industry, that was one industry that was uh, feeling left out economically in terms of or the, the whole entertainment industry, live events, that kind of thing, because obviously they could not have their events. And now at least they are allowed to have them up to 50% and to a capacity of 250, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But in addition, I do think that the international hotel industry was one that also was feeling the pinch because there is a lot of um, tourism uh, which is required to keep this economy running. So the tourism sector was one that was also adversely affected. And I think those, those industries also were a lot of pressure on the administration to take some action to deal with the challenges that they were facing. But more broadly, I think the president is under a lot of economic strain to show that he actually can reboot and revitalize the economy. And this could be his opportunity because in times of distress, people are more willing to deviate from party positions. So him and Tito Mboweni have a more 
liberal and market-facing uh, political ideology as to how to deal with the economy, whereas the ANC has a more socialist leaning and they have been trying to push for nationalization of the Reserve Bank. They've been trying to push for expropriation of land. And at this particular juncture, Cyril Ramaphosa may have enough to be able to push back and say, this is not yet the time to do that. We need to pursue uh, alternatives. Which ministers and industries does the speech benefit most? Well, I think the speech does benefit the industries that were excluded. So I would say tourism would benefit. I would say even um, the, the, the hotel, the restaurant industry would benefit. And also, obviously, the events industry will benefit. But a lot of people are, are just going to now pick up the pace of what they've been doing because under level two, there's already been a lot of economic activity. So I think under level one, what's really going to happen is companies are going to start rebalancing their commercial needs, trying to assess whether or not they need to go back into offices, pick up production processes. So even manufacturing and mining could benefit from this. But obviously with mining, because people are underground, there's still a lot of risks that will need to be addressed. In the most lighthearted portions of the address, President Ramaphosa urged the nation to participate in the Jerusalem Dance Challenge with their families in support of the amazing success by Master KG has seen with the song. Where would you place the level of our country's morale, especially with level one looming? As what more do you believe still needs to be done to properly boost uh, morale in our country as opposed to some other just mere lip service? Well, you know, I think the president did try to be lighthearted, but I don't know whether it is time around. I think that people are genuinely very serious about the economy, very serious about corruption. And I do think that once the economy itself starts uh, you know, moving at a, at a rapid pace, then you will start to see people being more lighthearted. I do think having more events, social events will actually add to that. Although people have already been uh, doing that already. I think even though economic activity has been increasing and social activity has been increasing, it does look as if uh, the numbers are not increasing. And I don't know whether that is uh, as a result of the African, um, you know, interaction with COVID-19 because across the continent, the numbers of COVID-19 have not been similar to the rest of the world. So the fear of um, a second wave may not be as strong in Africa as it is in other parts of the country or the world rather. So it's of interest to observe that, but I do think that that's really what's going to um, lift the national mood. And also obviously people are watching the incidences of corruption and all of the money that has gone missing during this COVID-19 pandemic. Now, President Sora Maposa made mention of how other countries across the world have also eased their restrictions and how this dreaded second wave unfolded in those parts of the world. Based on what we've seen in, from these other countries, is what we are doing at South Africa enough? Well, to be honest, I would say my intuition would say no, we're not doing enough because I've been watching the events under level one, um, I mean, level two, and we've been, you know, we've been having it, we've been doing it. Uh, because I've seen people go into social events, not wearing masks, not um, using social distancing. But I think because there are some dynamics that are affecting Africa, which are not necessarily consistent with the rest of the world, we may not have that kind of a risk. Because if we, if we were going to have a second wave, my theory is that we would have had it already, simply because of how people were behaving in um, level two. Uh, having said that, however, I do think that 
um, the risk of a level two is still one that needs to be observed very carefully. And everyone has to think very critically about how to mitigate that risk. And looking at Department of Higher Education, what moves do you think they could potentially make, considering that examinations are fast approaching and many of our listeners are wondering, will we go back to campus before that? By all indications, it looks as if students will sit in for their exams. I know a lot of students are worried about going to sit and write their exams as opposed to whatever else they were considering as an option. It looks like you'll have to sit for the exams in the building. Um, it does look as if by the time exams come in, uh, universities will be open to some level of capacity. I think most of the learning will remain online for universities because, as they said, you know, funerals are still high-risk areas. University spaces are also very high-risk areas because a university like Vids, for example, has 40,000 students. And if they are all coming in and out of the university, it actually can be... Um, a center for spread because just so many people interacting on so many different surfaces that so if you imagine vids has got 40,000 uj cumulatively has got over 60,000 if you think about um, tut with all of the tuts i don't think we're at a position now where we can actually see university activity but i do think we're going to see university activity for the purposes of learning a sort of examination President Sora Ramaphosa made mention of tracking app, urging all South Africans to download the app to assist the process of being able to quickly identify who could potentially be a carrier of the virus. In your estimation, how bright an indicator do you think this is of the progress that has been made to fight this pandemic? And what do you make of our technological infrastructure's capability to successfully execute the rollout of this tracking app and the use of this tracking app? Well, as I indicated earlier, uh, one, the thing with apps is that they have very low adoption rates when they are not of a certain nature. So people generally um, download apps which are for messaging, for social networking, they also download games and their banking applications because they are forced to use this or they have to use them for their day-to-day -day interaction. Every other application really struggles in the South African landscape. And you'll find that many apps which are introduced generally do not get mass adoption to be effective. So it's going to be very important for journalists to ask how many people have downloaded the app, where are they located, how many people are using the app daily, and lastly, how many people are using the app at least once a week? Because if the app is not being used and Wi-Fi is not being switched on and all of those kind of things are not happening, then critical questions will then have to be asked about whether or not that particular app is working. But besides the usage, there's also the issue of not everyone has a smartphone. And uh, the president made reference of using WhatsApp as one of the alternatives. But the reality is if you don't have a smartphone, you also don't have WhatsApp because you cannot just have WhatsApp on an analog phone, uh, for example. So the discussion around what what is the impact of a technological intervention such as this one is that it's necessarily not going to be at the same level as in Europe or in, in America or even in China because there's not enough people who use the technology and there's not enough people, even if it's zero rated, with uh, an appetite for downloading an app and using an app. So I think that when we're looking at uh, smart solutions, I don't think that the use of technology here will cause much of a differentiation or the kind of differentiation that we're looking for.
Just been joined by our resident political analyst here on the COVID report, Mr. Jamie Mighty, to unpack the latest speech from President Cyril Ramaphosa announcing plans last night to move the country to lockdown alert level one with effect from midnight this coming Sunday. He also went to great lengths to mention how important the recently introduced COVID alert SA app will be in our continued fight against the pandemic. We will touch on the app in greater detail in just a bit. Before we do that, though, we took to the streets to get reaction from the public as far as how they feel with the impending move to lockdown level one. And this is what they had to say. The country moving to level one, economically it's good because, I mean, our economy is bad, but then the virus, people are still getting infected, it's not over. But the question is, are we going to survive like the virus? We need a vaccine first. If I had it my way, I would say we focus on getting a vaccine completely and then we can move to level one. Because right now people will be more careless, but then the risk of getting the virus is higher now. I feel I'm overwhelmed, you know why? Because now I have the freedom that I had before all of this started, you see. So now, in terms of that, I mean, I'm glad the liquor is back, you know, because I mean, I'm so overwhelmed right now, you know. I mean, I feel that everything is just, it's just going to go back to how things used to order at first. No, like, it's fine, like, the state uh, but like, the mask is on at your shop, because of, like, we can't pre probably get a mask. And yeah, like they will be able to travel. And like all, we all want to be here. I have mixed emotions about the relaxation of the lockdown rules. I feel quite sad that the president had kind of no choice but to save the country's economy by exposing us to the virus. But I'm also super elated that finally South Africa is gaining back their normal. The past six months have been a roller coaster because we've been facing both the COVID pandemic and the Libya effect. So I feel relieved and at the same time a bit nervous because it could take one wrong move and the universe could take a turn again. Going into level one, I think there is many factors at play. On one side, the economy really does need to open up. Although some parts of it have opened up, I know in the arts, um, some things haven't been able to open up because adhering to regulations just wasn't feasible like opening a theater and only allowing 50 people inside thinking about the fact that there will be other people in the theater before we even speak of our audience just wouldn't have been profitable Um, so i think it's good for people to make a livelihood you know and for people's mental health um, one making a livelihood but being able to see things and go to places you enjoy and some people who are stuck outside of the country who couldn't be repatriated because the ticket for repatriation was like some people were saying way higher than a ticket on a normal day coming back to South Africa from another country you know but I think the downside is a lot of people even before level one um, felt like COVID was a big mind over matter thing you know Therefore, a lot of people already were not adhering to regulations. And I feel like in level one, it may get a bit worse. And although like numbers are decreasing of people who are getting infected, the fact of the matter is there is people that have passed from this. You know, there is people that we've lost from this. Lives have been lost from this um, infection during this global pandemic. Um, And yeah, the other thing also I think is we were able to contain it because it was 
the people in the country, you know, um, getting infected, getting treated, and all that stuff. But now we're allowing other people from other countries in, uh, be it they are, they are from the country or they're from outside the country, you know. And I don't know, I think it'll be just a bit more challenging to work with people coming from outside the borders. But um, although I'm worried, I am very ecstatic for this, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And that is what our fellow South Africans had to say about the move to lockdown level one. Now, after the break, we touch on the new COVID alert app that President Cyril Ramaphosa made a point in mentioning yesterday. Now, all of that after the break. Don't go anywhere. Noisy neighbors making you turn up the volume. We get it. But there's noise. And then there's need. So if you hear something disturbing happening nearby, take action. Turn down your radio and turn up your attention. If you hear the sounds of gender-based violence, visit gbv.org.za or contact the GBV Command Center on 0800-428-428 to report abuse or ask for help. Don't drown out the noise. Listen harder. gbv.org.za is there. If something's happening next door, nearby, or next to you, turn down your radio. Listen. Act. We'll be right here when you're done. This show is brought to you by Voice of Vets in partnership with Higher Health. You are listening to the COVID Report. I am your host, Siposi Sembuli, not riding solo today, welcoming back Ukameli Shewakwapavana. Now, COVID-19 has shown us that technology is no longer a luxury, but an important component of our daily lives. As the South African government continues to fight the spread of the coronavirus and now ensuring we don't run the risk of being exposed to the second wave of COVID-19 infections, Discovery and the Department of Health have worked together in creating a contact tracing application to help curb the spread of the virus. We are joined by Maria Carpenter from Discovery, who led the COVID Alert SA app development project. Thank you so much, Maria, for joining us here on the COVID Report. And firstly, we've known about Google's COVID-19 exposure notification system that users would find under their phone settings. And the current COVID Alert SA app is built from the Google framework. Please tell us how the COVID Alert SA app is different from the Google Exposure Notification System and what modifications have been made to have the final app, which is the COVID Alert SA app. This is a really good question and I'm so glad that you're asking it. Um, There has been much confusion in the market um, now that people have started noticing this new setting that appeared on their smartphone device. It's for both Google and Apple, and that exposure notification setting was introduced um, during the month of May and early June. And almost overnight, people started picking up this new setting that had appeared on both Android and Apple devices. That setting cannot work without an app. And an app, such as ours that we have in South Africa, the COVID Alert SA app, cannot work without that setting. So our application that has been built for South Africa is built based on the framework for exposure notifications and that framework has been written and developed by Google and Apple for countries around the world to use for contact tracing. 
The framework allows for Bluetooth contact tracing to take place on a device without the app having to stay in the foreground and also it does not drain our very precious battery life of our devices. So previous versions of applications that were coming out in April um, and, and early on in Q1 of the year, these applications were written without the framework um, and these were with a centralized database where governments were typically um, having access to personal data or data from their citizens. With the framework in place, we are now able to have a decentralized system and data is completely maintained. It's the framework um, is privacy preserving and your device is seen as the decentralized processor for contact tracing. What we've done with our application to make it work is to provide the environment for that setting to make sense in South Africa. So if you have an application and you have a setting in your territory, which would be South Africa in our case, you then need to create an exposure notification server, which is used to receive the randomized codes that are generated by your device when you have the application, um, and also to accept and to transmit these codes, which we'll get into a bit later in the interview. An additional consideration is that um, what Apple and Google started seeing around the world was that countries have struggled in developing their own applications. Um, and, and in fact, we are the first African country on the continent to uh, get the application over the line. And we've also, we're ahead of some countries in Europe and also states in America. So Apple and Google have recently launched Express. Um, and what Express does is you can have the setting on your device and then use a, it's, it's like a white labeled application developed by Google and Apple for your country. It is only available in certain territories and it's, it's got very strict rules for application and in effect we can't actually use it in South Africa because we don't adhere to the minimum requirements that are required for um, Express to operate. Um, and the reason that they did it and that they are now offering this Express is for countries that um, perhaps don't have the resources, they don't have development teams available and they cannot develop their own application. Um, it, it doesn't provide uh, countries with the opportunity to add additional functionality. So we're very lucky in South Africa that we can add functionality such as next steps to manage your health if you've been positively diagnosed or if you've received a notification that you've potentially been exposed. You can, through COVID Alert SA, have access to next steps, including a link to the WhatsApp GovChat bot as well as a 24-hour um, hotline number. And, and what Express does is it, it removes all of that um, enriched functionality. In the interest of everything that you've just alluded to as far as the functionality of this app, it's available for both Apple and Android smartphone users. Basically helps um, track contacts who have been exposed to the virus. Can you please break down, for the benefit of those who will be um, listening to this, can you please break down how this app functions once it's been installed in a user's device? And also, can you go over the ways in which 
the user is protected by the policies put in place to prevent the abuse of personal information. Um, being that we, we were um, just recently um, subject to that massive data breach in May where people's personal information were leaked. So um, can you please, again, uh, break down for us how and, and, and in what ways users are protected and their personal information is protected as they continue to use this app? Uh, let's just run through a, a simulation. So let's assume that two users come into contact with each other. So you've got person A and person B. And both person A and person B have the application downloaded um, and installed on their devices. So the devices come into, um, into close contact with each other. So close contact, what we're looking at is it's approximately within two meters. And the reason I say approximately is um, how the application works and, and based on the framework is we're using a variable called attenuation. So it's not an exact science. Um, it's, it's within the two meters and, and attenuation will also take into account um, the, the room and block. So you must think of your Bluetooth um, working with your different devices and, and how Bluetooth, uh, sometimes there's obstacles in between that would stop the signal strength um, from being optimal. So person A and person B spend approximately 15 minutes together. During that time, with the application installed on their devices, their devices are generating random keys. These random keys have no personal identifiers associated to them. They're swapping these random keys. So person A has its, his or her own random keys being generated for their device, as does person B. Person A's device will store their own random keys as well as person B's random keys. And the same vice versa for person B. Maybe around six days later, um, person A starts feeling sick and decides to go for a COVID test. Turns out, um, let's make person A a he, he finds out that he is positive um, for COVID. He receives an SMS, so this is a process that's been added by the Department of Health, um, and, and the NDOH will send everybody an SMS um, who tests, and, and this SMS will notify person A that he has in fact tested positive, and a six-digit key will be included in that SMS. On receipt of that SMS, person A chooses to notify others um, in the COVID alert system. They open the COVID alert app. They, um, they navigate to the screen that says alert others, select it, and then enter this unique key um, as well as their date of birth. Now, the reason we've added date of birth is to prevent abuse of the system. We don't want people adding positive diagnoses when they, in fact, did not test positive. Um, and we are basing um, that, that SMS does get sent on phone numbers that are written down, potentially, when somebody goes for a test. And if there is a typo, um, they, they, it could be sent to the wrong person. However, somebody receiving it will not know the correct date of birth associated to that, um, to that SMS and to that PIN. So we do a match that gets sent through, sent through to the data lake by the NDOH. And if there is a match, person A uploads their keys. So that means that person A's device keys are now uploaded into the exposure notification server. That server then sends out those keys to everybody that is part of the COVID alert SA system. And everybody's devices then check their personal devices, check to make sure that those keys are not present. 
if they are present, which will be the case for person B, person B will get a notification saying, on this day, you are exposed to somebody who has tested positive for COVID. And then next steps are presented. So then person B knows that um, please self-quarantine, monitor your symptoms, and here are some uh, additional resources if you need to get additional help. So that's pretty much, a, it might still be another mouthful, but pretty much a summary of how the exposure notification um, function works. In terms of user protection and data protection, no personal information is collected or stored in the system. So going back to that decentralized view and how the framework has been built, it demands anonymity and demands that we cannot, as a country, collect personal information. And there was there's an extremely rigorous process when building the app with both Apple and Google to ensure that every country adheres to um, the, the guiding principles of the framework. And, and we have to then go through multiple layers of reviews for the application to ensure and make sure that it is absolutely correct and that we are not abusing any personal information. So in terms of the specific question, how do we avoid um, any issues with a data breach we do not collect any personal information and, and that's the best way to avoid it is not to do it and, and that's how the application works. Now, speaking of the implementation of the application in South Africa, we have heard in April when the Minister of Communications, Ms. Dylan Dabeni Abrams, had talked about an app like this, but government came back and said, for a country like South Africa, it is not going to be practical. In putting this app in place, what strategies did you implement to ensure that this became a fully functional app? And given the cell phone triangulation in the rural areas, will smartphone users from the villages benefit from the accuracy of the app as those who are in urban areas? So sure, the, the government has done, the National Department of Health under a gentleman called Goring Tanner has done an amazing job with the program called COVID Connect. COVID Connect was developed um, around May, June and, and with COVID Connect, that was that WhatsApp um, uh, system that was put in place to start helping with automating and it, it didn't effectively automate but it started helping in at least making it system driven some way of uh, documenting contacts without relying on a government worker calling um, every single person who tested positive. With that COVID connect process what Mr Tanner did he put the systems in place to start consolidating data across the country and to create an eff effectively to create a central database um, for medical systems in the country. It, it, it's, it's absolutely astounding what he, what he managed to do in a very short period of time. Now, COVID Connect is available to everybody who has WhatsApp installed on their devices, which is a substantial um, portion of our South African market. It's, um, it's very high adoption. For people living in a township um, and, and, and rural areas that you've mentioned in your, in your questioning, the framework for COVID alert, that requires um, uh, uh, users to have at least certain system requirements. There is a minimum system requirement. So you have to have a smartphone and you have to have uh, the minimum level of OS requirement. So it's Android 6 and it's iOS 13.5, if, if that means anything to, to everybody that's, that's listening. And there's, the reason that they did that is that anything below that um, Apple and Google felt would not be um, as trusted and it wasn't as trustworthy as devices having the later versions of operating systems. 
If you are unable to download the application, COVID Connect, which is the overarching solution that the government has put in place, can help with that WhatsApp solution. So while it won't allow for derived contract contacts, which COVID Alert does, um, so that is the smart app application, the WhatsApp portion of COVID Connect will help us in ensuring that contact tracing efforts can span most South Africans, which is, which is pretty phenomenal. In terms of triangulation, that refers and that references location tracking, which this app does not do. There is no location tracking. If wherever you live, if you have a device that has Bluetooth and you have the right operating system and above in place, this app works. Um, we are very privileged in this country to have telcos that have all come to the party. Every single telco has arranged for zero rating data use on the application. There is no cost to use the app. So all that data that I was alluding to, the data that's required when the exposure notification um, transmits all the random codes from the person who has tested positive and shared their codes with the server, that data is free of charge. Um, it's, it's quite a phenomenal solution that the country has, has put in place. So there's no data cost um, for usage. And if they've got Bluetooth working on their devices, no matter where you are, it will work. All righty. And uh, as a two-hander from me to conclude our discussion, Ms. Carpenter, in the event that a contact receives a false positive result from their COVID-19 test and they've already reported the information to the app, can entries be reversed? How will this work and what procedures will be followed? And as a follow-up to that, with the efficient and accurate use of this app, which I imagine is a process that will be workshopped over time as we iron out all of the kinks to make sure that this youth, this app is used as smoothly as possible. And along with the other COVID-19 regulations and protocols in place, in your opinion, how far will this app take us as far as our quest to avoid the second wave of COVID-19 infections? Uh, we have not seen um, high false positives. We have seen false negatives, um, but, but not really false positives. The app does not, and, and the framework from Apple and Google does not allow for somebody to say, I've changed my mind, I no longer want to be positive, or um, I've gone for additional tests and I've actually turned out to be negative. Um, and in fact, we're not seeing that around the globe, that there's been these false positives being reported. It was more around the false negatives that, that we were concerned around. Can you repeat the second part of your question, please? Uh, uh, the second part of the question was um, in terms of the efficient and accurate use of the app and the ironing out, the continuous ironing out of the kinks, mm. like uh, what you've just described now with uh, false positives and false negatives. And mm. with the other COVID-19 um, regulations and protocols put in place, how far, it, how far ahead does the, does the use of this app, the introduction of this app being used as a way, as a means for us to track who has and who, who, must, who probably hasn't come in contact with anyone with the virus, how far ahead of the fight to avoid a second wave of COVID-19 infections will this app put us? It's an excellent question. I'm really glad you asked it. So to start with, um, we, we must have an appreciation for the technology. The framework is new. It's framework around the globe. Um, uh, the, we are the first African country to get um, the application working and to get it over the line. And, and, and Apple and Google have actually asked um, the South African government if they could, could help in getting some other African countries over the line as well. And we've actually managed to get, it, uh, to get our app 
and, and usage of this framework live before many European countries and states in America. Knowing that, we, we do need to be appreciative of the newness of the technology and expect there to be changes um, coming through over the next few months. As, um, so we were learning with Apple. Apple was learning with us, as was Google. And, and together, when we were building it um, uh, as a team, and it really was this collective effort across many different providers, we'd work out, okay, but it's not working like this on this device. And in the event of this happening and that, we find that this works better. And, and collectively, we created this application for the, um, with the best implementation for South Africa. So we should expect changes, always for the better, coming out over the next few months. In terms of how this will help us um, as a tool uh, in combating COVID, this is just a tool. Uh, th there is no silver bullet in managing this virus. And, and, what, and that has absolutely become clear over the last few months. We want to put our best foot forward and have the best approach and ensure that our economy opens, stays open, and as a country, we prevent the second wave. This application is a powerful tool for us, and, and it's powerful because of the anonymity. There is no issue with people being concerned um, with stigmas being attached to being uh, to having a positive diagnosis or even or, or being in, a, in an area where they ended up having a um, potential exposure that has been stripped away we're now left with we're appealing to the public first please get the app secondly when you do get a notification or if you do get a notification stay home you you may not have symptoms but there's a chance that you um, have been infected stay home, prevent the spread, help us stay open as a country. And, and we believe that putting the power into our hands as people in South Africa, we can't rely, there is no silver bullet across the world in solving for this virus. We have to work together. It's only together can we combat this and can South Africa open up again and, and be strong. It's, uh, and it's a bit of a cliche, but we're stronger together and, and we're in this together. And this app really manifests that belief and will help us. And it's also, there's a feeling of, we don't feel so, you know, we've been using the application for a, for a couple of weeks, um, close to over a month now um, in the team that have been building it. And we have a sense of hope, that hopelessness has, has dissipated because we feel like we're doing something towards this. Me personally, Maria Carpenter, I'm doing what I can in helping myself, my family, my, my employer, and my country in combating this virus that was never expected. And, and it's, it's just such an unknown entity. And, and it's, it's a good place to be. So I believe in terms of hope, and in terms of all of us working together, this is an excellent tool. And, and I hope that everybody that's listening will download the app. Um, it takes two minutes to download. The app size is, it's, it's under 10 megs um, install size on your device. It's under three megs um, from a download. Um, so it'll cost you two minutes and three megs of data to download the application. Download has not been zero rated. So those three megs, um, currently we do have to pay for that, those three megabytes, but I'm sure most people listening will have an appreciation. Three megs is less than a small video or a couple of photos on WhatsApp. And, and we, we worked really hard in making sure that the app stayed small so that it wouldn't be, uh, so that size wouldn't be an issue for download. There's just one more point that I want to make and we haven't mentioned yet, and that's around Huawei devices. 
So Huawei has separated itself from the Google Play Store. Um, and there are many Huawei devices in South Africa that are currently unable to get um, the application. And the Huawei version of the app is currently being built and it'll be out in the next couple of weeks. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the COVID report and the eye-opening insight you have given us into the developments made um, on this app as the tool to fight this pandemic. So again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and for giving me an opportunity to share um, the details of the application. Um, and, and thank you to the listeners. Uh, thank you for your, your focus and attention. And I, one last appeal, please download the app, COVID Alert SA. It's available in both Apple and Google Play stores. It's, yeah, it, the system works when we're all in it together. Thank you. We've just been joined by Maria Carpenter from Discovery, who, alongside the Department of Health, work together in creating a contact tracing app to help curb the spread of coronavirus. The app is known as COVID Alert SA. It is available for both Apple and Android smartphone users. Huawei, as she mentioned, will be rolling out their accessibility to the app in the weeks to come. Before that, we're also joined, as we always are, by our resident political analyst, Mr. Jamie Mighty, joining us in direct response and reaction to the latest address by President Cyril Ramaphosa, in which he announced that the country will move to lockdown alert level one with effect from midnight this coming Sunday. But if you've missed this or any of the other conversations we've had here on the COVID report, we urge you to visit our website, www.vowfm.c. You will find all of the COVID report podcasts there for your listening pleasure. We also urge you to use social media to engage with us. Facebook.com forward slash VOWFM, Twitter at VOWFM. And you can also find us on Instagram at VOWFM. And if you are looking for more of Game and I, you can find us at the same time and place next week, further reporting on COVID-19. But until then, Don't forget to wear your mask and keep a safe social distancing.